Welcome to episode 186 of the Throwdown Thursday podcast. My name is Patrick Rahal, but you can call me Patsy the Angry Nerd. And uh, we are, of course, brought to you by Deadly Grounds Coffee, as we are part of the Dorking Network. And as we are, what does that look for? She's giving me a weird look already. This is off to a good start. Uh, and we are, of course, broadcasting from deep within the bowels of Magenta Manor. I only say that because it freaks her out. Deep In- within the Bowls of Magenta Manor. Oh, I could use like a bowl of cereal right so now. So many bowls. Oh, it's like that s'more cereal. Uh, yes, in the Pat Cave, deep in the bowels and the bowls of Magenta Manor. And, of course, as you already heard, and uh, as you can tell from my, my tone, because I was already uh, addressing her, I am, of course, joined by my co-host on the show, my co-host in life. She is... The Real Housewife of Transylvania, the Mistress of Merlot, the Michael Phelps of Wine... The Queen of the Monsters and an honorary Lizzie, ladies and gentlemen, Ashes von Nightmare. <gasps> you remind me of the babe. What babe? The babe with the power. What power? The power of voodoo. Who do? You do. Do what? Remind me of the babe. Oh, yeah. I saw my baby crying hard as babe could cry. What could I do? Oh, well, look at that. Ash is getting uh, <laughs> Do you do? Do you like my Bowie? <laughs> she went to Jareth. What um, kind of magic smell? To no <laughs> slime and snails and Bobby Nogdales. A career in voice acting for this one, absolute one hundred percent. So, in case you didn't notice, today we are talking about Jareth from the Labyrinth. I'm so excited. Yeah. Uh, this, it this seems, is one of my, I think, probably up there with one of my favorite films of like all time. And it, it's uh, an appropriate time because we just passed not only Bowie's birthday, but the anniversary of his passing a few days later. But I mean, it's always a good time to talk about David Bowie. That's it true. really is. That's true. And uh, I'm surprised that we've gone nearly four years with before talking without, about him. And it's funny because I had posted on social media that, you know, we were covering Jareth for this episode. And our buddy Riku reached out to me on Twitter and was like, hey, didn't you already cover him? And I said, actually, no. So surprisingly, no. But I'm sure we've mentioned him, you know, uh, Jareth and Bowie and other capacities during other episodes. You've mentioned so Bowie's bulge repeatedly. I will reserve my comments regarding Bowie's bulge for the discussion. You remind me of the bulge. What bulge? The bulge with the power. What power? The power of voodoo. <laughs> <laughs> Who do you do? Remind me of the bulge. I saw my bulgy. Bulging like bulges do. What It could reached you my shoe. <laughs> Could you imagine? Hold on, hold on. This is creating the most delightful visual in my brain right now. Crazy. Could you even imagine having a dragon on the floor? Man, is it sore? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Oh, my goodness! But could you imagine having a bulge so big that it dragged on the floor? Like that would be like that, that would be ginormous. That would be that would be like, bad. What do you do with okay, that? So we've had this conversation. What do you do? I had this conversation a few years ago at Rock and Chalk with uh Dynamo and El Goro, and we were talking about how if you were to have like a thirteen inch member, it would be terrible because 
you would need two hearts in order to pump all the blood you'd need into it to get it fully erect. So what's the point? What's the point? But not only that, like you just you just get to put like there is there is such a thing as too big. Yeah, like there, it's it's a thing. Like there, there is people are like, "Hey, big!" But there's a thing. Like too big is too big. Well, thankfully, you don't have to worry. (laughs) No, I don't. But anyways, getting back on topic. The bulge. The Battle of the Bulge. <laughs> Wait. Wait, isn't that a real thing in history, though? That is a though? real thing. And people co-opted it in the 80s to talk about, like, to use it in Weight Watchers commercials. Like, hundreds of thousands of people died or fought in it, and many, many thousands died. And it's like, yeah, because that's the same as dieting. But, yeah, so we're, we're Well, I mean, about... I don't know about you, but when I diet, I want to kill someone, so... That's true. It's like, where's the goddamn cookies? I want some fucking cake, goddammit! This is the worst time to you. diet, too, just as a side note, because I keep seeing everybody, like, posting about uh, Girl Scout cookies. Oh, my God, is it that time of year? It's getting up there. It's the most wonderful time I of will say, the though, year. we were really good. Like, I bought a shit ton of, of Girl Scout cookies We last still have year, some in our and freezer. And we have a whole bunch still frozen. So I was good about it. I bought a lot, but I didn't eat a lot. They're still in the freezer, so we didn't eat them. But we are not talking about Girl Scout cookies today, uh, even though, like, we could probably do an entire show on Samoas and... And oh my God, Thin Mints! And Thin Mints, thin oh, mints and are the, the di- best. And the Dunkin' Coffee that goes. Uh, all right. Anyway, so uh, now I'm hungry. Um, so we have a getting into character question for today. Yes, because we just watched Labyrinth. We did. Because well, we had to well, refresh watched it. Right. We had to refresh ourselves. I actually haven't watched it in a couple of years, so yeah, it was nice same to. Year. Watch I didn't watch it, it last year. It wasn't part of my 356 movies. I don't remember. It might have been a couple of years ago that we watched it. We might have just like watched it on a whim, like it was on a streaming service. It wasn't on any streaming service though. Uh, looking for it, like to stream for free. So I ended up just buying it. I was like, "Fuck it." I have the DVD somewhere, but like I packed a lot of those away because they were just taking up space. So I put them in a bunch of boxes, and I was not about to go <laughs> digging through them. So I'm like, "Fuck it, it's on Voodoo now." So. Anyways, thanks for that great story. Mm-hmm. It's riveting. Our getting into character question for today is what are some films geared towards children that you watched as a child that you really shouldn't have watched? Does that make any sense? Yeah, it's it's like kind of like the labyrinth. The labyrinth, there are parts of it that are absolutely terrifying. Fuck like the, the fireies. fireies. Yep. And the helping hands. Yeah, creepy ass shit. So stuff that like is that. Crazy creepy. Terrible disturbing images in a child's like, you know, one of the things that immediately when we just started discussing this for the for the show, one of the things that immediately popped into my head is that scene in 101 Dalmatians where Cruella DeVille's driving her car and her eyes are all fucking wild and she's like chasing everybody down trying to murder people. Like, I'm going to get the puppies. Puppies. And like, but like she looked I'm gonna terrifying. make a coat. She looked like something out of your nightmare. And a matching scarf. Yeah. She doesn't sound exactly like that, but that would be really fun if she did. That sounded like a weird Muppet. <laughs> um Yeah, or like the, we mentioned this briefly last episode because it's one of the films that we're looking forward to this year. Uh but the witches. Yeah, the witches. 
Although Starring Angelica Houston. That subject matter, that book, like, I mean, it was... Well, I mean, Roald Dahl is, is uh, yeah, very terrifying and creepy. In the same vein, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Like, yeah, that, that fucking boat the scene. The boat scene. Which I don't recall if it's in the book. I don't remember. Because the book's actually Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, like, but they wanted Willy Wonka, you know, Gene Wilder as the star to kind of get the... Which makes sense. But still, like, children died. Not in the book. In the book, none of them died. They were all fine. But, like, in the film, they clearly died. Oh. They died. Yeah, because you don't get to see them at the end. In the, the remake with Johnny Depp, they show them at the end, like, that everybody made it through and they were okay. Yeah, but they don't, yeah, they don't show, the only survivor is Charlie. Yes. And his lame grandpa, who's like, I can't walk. Oh, look at me, I can walk again, hooray! Because he got a golden ticket. <laughs> no, I mean, when we were we were talking about this, you know, stuff that we... Watched as children that if, like, they wouldn't be remade like this today. Like, if they were to make them, they couldn't make them this way. And the first thing that popped into my head is anything that Don Bluth was a part of. Oh, my God, yes. Um, the Secret of Nim. Like, just the, just the scene where Mrs. Brisby, although in the book it's Mrs. Frisby, but they didn't want to get confused with the flying discs that were popular in the 80s when the book was written. Uh, Mrs. Brisby goes to see the great owl. And the giant spider starts, you know, coming after her. And you're like, oh, shit, she's going to get eaten by a spider. And the owl crunches down on the spider and all its guts come out. And you watch it die. And then the owl's head twists and turns and comes down. And he's just all asymmetrical. And is he's weather-beaten and covered with uh, uh, cobwebs. And he's just terrifying. His eyes glow. And it's like... This is a movie my mom took me to see when I was three. <laughs> Thanks, mom. I mean, it's brilliant animation. Don't get me wrong, but like stuff that's you know. And another movie I saw from Don Bluth in the theater right around the same time: An American Tale. Oh, Fifeful. Yeah, but there was some terrifying shit in that. Um, what's his name there? Even uh, not quite as bad, but still pretty traumatizing and i saw this in like 1989 the land before time oh my god i love that film um but like some of these movies, what were some of your movies uh so the never-ending story oh and all i can think about is the scene with the horse atreyu and artax oh my god like i think that that it's it's when we were thinking about films for this part of the discussion, that was the first one that came to mind because of the horse scene. I mean, and granted, there are some very scary, uh, other scary the images Gamork? through, yeah, throughout the the film. But that was the first thing that's just popped into my mind, like that stayed with me was the horse. Another one is the Wizard of Oz. Wizard of Oz Return to Oz is even worse. But, like, if you think about when The uh, Wizard of Oz was made, and there were actually a couple of scenes that were cut. It's a remake, actually, because it came out a couple of years prior. Uh, there's a scene where, so we all know that the apple, like, the trees in the orchard are alive and they talk to her. Mm-hmm. But there's a whole scene where they, like, try to kill her, pretty much. Yeah. 
and that we, and there's a whole song that goes with it too. The jitterbug. They, yeah, actually, yeah, it is yes, the jitterbug. I know. Um, but they cut that for the film. But even then, with that scene cut, that film is still creepy. The flying monkeys and oh, tearing the 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 uh, scarecrow apart. Yeah, I took my legs and threw them over there, and I took my chest and threw it over there. You know, setting him on fire. Mm-hmm. Like, that's crazy. Another one that I have on my list is The Dark Crystal, oh. another film by Jim Henson. Jim Henson stuff. And it wasn't just the designs. Like, even the cute little things, like the little dog that runs around with them that has, like, several rows of teeth, like a shark. Mm-hmm. Or the little, what, fizz gigs, I think they're called? Yeah, that's that's what oh, I'm yeah, talking yeah, about. Oh, yeah, yeah, fizz gigs. Fizzy, fizz gigs. Fizzy gigs. Fizz gigs. Fizz Whirly bop. Sure. I don't know. I want to look at Yeah, up. the little the little cute fuzzy things. Like every everything that was that's just cute one dude. Is still... it was just one little guy. Yeah, I think it was Fizzgig. Yeah, I'm going to look it up. But yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah. Oh. And then kind of going into a little more recent stuff. So this is obviously films that I haven't watched as a child, but could still be terrifying to a child is Coraline. Yes. There are so I you know I was watching it as I forget when it came out probably like what 2009 I think 2008 2009 Fizzgig a friendly monster Yeah Fizzgig I was right Um Coraline is creepy I mean it's great it's so well done but oh, it's a Neil oh, the Gaiman other story. the other mother Oh yeah the whole the whole thing the like buttons for eyes our souls Yeah Yeah it's Coraline is creepy as hell. Even no, though- like she's a little brat calling her friend YB. Why were you born? Yeah, she's kind of a jerk. Well, you know, in this, in the and like, same and the vein, cat's really creepy in that film too. I mean, I love it as an adult, but I could oh, see yeah. how like a child could be terrified. Well, by again, this. even uh, as a, a te- well, I was a teenager. You weren't quite a teenager when uh, James and the Giant Peach came out, and that was the Tim Burton. Oh. Oh, yeah. Stop motion, and that was some terrifying shit. I actually watched that for the first time. I was in college when I saw it, and we were going. So we were on a bus. We were going somewhere. I think we were going into Boston to the one of the museums for a, a college course thing we were doing. And we got to bring in because it had the, the the bus that had the TVs and stuff in mm-hmm. it. So we got to bring in some some films, and somebody brought in James and the Giant Peach, and everyone's like, "Oh, I love that!" And I'm like, oh, "I actually haven't seen it." And they're like, "Oh my god, let's watch it!" And even like, I, I think this was my freshman or sophomore year of college watching it. I was like, "Damn, this is great!" But you was creepy. It's dark. It's you very was dark. creepy. Yeah, like uh, any any early early Disney, like you know. Even Pinocchio turning into a a, a, a oh donkey. Oh my god! Yeah, and the whole scene with them being inside the whale. Mm-hmm. Monstro. Yeah, like there, there's some, there's some creepy shit. So if you have some uh, creepy stuff that you uh, that you remember watching that we didn't mention, or stuff that you, we did that you want to expand upon, uh, let us know. You know, social media, Throwdown Thursday Podcast at Gmail dot com. You know, we're everywhere. Throwdownthursdaypodcast.com as well. It's where links to all our social media. Mm-hmm. Our tea Public store, Deadly Grounds Coffee, our sponsor. You can uh, click on over and link to everything. So one-stop shopping for everything Throwdown Thursday. Wow. Yeah. You can read some of my articles if you if you so desire. And uh, I, know, I think that's a pretty good spot to uh, take a quick break. And uh, when we come back, we're going to talk about David Bowie and his bulge. We are. And uh, we'll be 
We'll be right back. Deadly Grounds Coffee knows how important your coffee is to you. Every batch is roasted to perfection with a unique special method that brings out the richest, deepest, smoothest flavor you'll ever find. We're coffee freaks too, and deadly serious about our brew. Just one sip and you'll know why we say, once you go deadly, you don't go back. It's truly coffee to die for. So when you're ready to get a little deadly, get online and order yours at getdeadly.com. It's coffee so good, it's scary. Greetings! We are the Retro Redoctopus Cephala Podcast, the bi-weekly show that celebrates all the things that made growing up awesome. He's right. We wax philosophic about lots of geeky crap like old video games and movies, toys, cartoons, I don't know, help me out here. Music. Pants. Quoting video games that don't have dialogues. Shabibans. Tasty news. Unnecessarily long Japanese onomatopoeia. Butt breathers. Uncomfortable nature facts. Or how to install a samoplage. And unlike all those other podcasts, we at Retroidocubus have an exciting rotating host schedule. Do we? We sure do. So, if you didn't like the guy flapping his gums this week, like me, worry not, gentle listener. Next week, we'll have a whole new host. Of problems. Hey, they might still suck, but they'll suck differently. And you know what's really cool? Retroidocubus is part of the Dorkening and Inebriar Podcast Networks with new episodes every Tentacle Tuesday. Which is like every other Tuesday. We named it. Anyways, you can listen to us at iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, or any podcast player cool enough to carry the only show that celebrates all things that make growing up awesome. What's going on? Yeah! <laughs> what do you want? And we are back. That, of course, being the uh, Fireys song. And if you remember the Fireys, you remember why it's so creepy. And if you don't, rewatch the movie and remember and and just remember to take note of the Fireys because uh, I, uh, I I told my brothers about that I I'd purchased this and put it on Voodoo, and I also picked up next week's uh, topic as well. And my brother, Dan, was very excited to show it to his daughter, our niece, Emma. And I said, well, just make sure you don't show her, uh, don't show her Labyrinth. Maybe start her out with something a little, little more tame, like A Nightmare on Elm Street. Because, <laughs> you know, I serious, that's seriously what I said. I'm like, because we just rewatched it, and it's creepy. She's only five. She'll be six in August. But the creepy part, the, the whole fiery scene is just, it is creepy, but the 
real creepy part is after they've taken off their body parts, they throw it in the fire, their body parts grow back, they take off each other's heads and throw them around. They go after Sarah and try to remove her head. Because you're only allowed to throw your own head. You can't throw anyone else's. That's how the game works. Right. Because she threw their heads in order to escape them. Yes. And she should have thrown them away. For, like, that one dude takes off his leg and uses it as a golf club. Like, what the fuck? It's so weird. I don't like the fireys. Like, that, that's going to replace the whale in my nightmares. Like, <laughs> but we are not talking about the fireys today. We are talking about Jareth and David Port- David Bowie's portrayal. Oh, Jer- Jareth is very fiery. Yes. Oh, baby. Now, the thing I like about this is that with one establishing shot, everything that happens in the movie we're going to see in her room. And it's funny. I was talking about it. I'm like, oh, you know what? This is just like Wizard of Oz when you see all the characters at the beginning and then they all play different roles later on. And as I'm saying that, it pan- the camera pans by the book, The Wizard of Oz. And I was like, oh, well, I guess I was spot on with that, with that uh, comparison. But we even see a little statue of... Jareth, a Jareth-looking motherfucker. He's not exactly. Well, and not only that, so we see photos of David Bowie in her, like, on her little vanity. Mm-hmm. So, and apparently, like, her mother's supposed to be this movie star, or she she's an actress, and so it's her mother with David Bowie. But there's just a lot of, a lot of foreshadowing there that I kind of like. It's very well-placed. It's not, like, beating you over the head with it. So when you're first watching it initially, you're probably not going to pick up on this right away versus when you're in the middle of the film, it'll kind of dawn on you like, oh, my God, that's what that was. And that's what this was. And this film kind of reminds me of these stories. And those are the stories that, you know, are shown in her book collection in the beginning. Yeah. And the thing that I like about this is it came out in 1986. So I was five, uh, but I don't remember watching it then. I think I saw it the first time when I was about eight and it was on TV and I remember watching it and I was like, oh, Jim Henson, this is going to be great. I love Jim Henson, you know, and watching it and being like, this is really weird and creepy. And like my mom coming home from work because she worked a a later shift because she would uh, she worked like three to 11. So she'd be home when we got out of school because my dad worked nine to five. So we'd have a babysitter for a few hours each day. So we come home. I, she comes home and she's like, "What the hell are you watching?" I'm like, "I don't know," because I didn't know how to pronounce labyrinth. I'm like, "Laby, Laby something," and she's like, "Labyrinth." I'm like, "Yeah, yeah, that's what they said," and I'm like, "This is this is weird. Like it's creepy. Like," and I was describing some of the stuff to her. I mean, like even the first scene where we see Hoggle pissing into the little pool and then like spraying fairies with pesticide, like. That wouldn't get made today. No, Hoggle would have to register as a sex offender. Yes, because he had his dick out in front of an underage girl. Yes. Um, and, you know, one thing that you, you don't see too often is someone actually playing the exact age and being the exact age, because Jennifer Connelly was 15, 16, depending on when filming wrapped, uh, when... When this came out, because her birthday's in December, she was born yeah. So apparently, yeah, she was she was like fourteen, fifteen years old when this was filmed. Yeah, and she was sixteen when it came out, and she was supposed to be sixteen. Sarah is sixteen in the movie, so she's right around where she was supposed to be. 
and like I said, I saw it when I was younger, and I remember a kind of being mesmerized. And I know you're going to talk a little bit more about this after being mesmerized by him, like moving the little crystal ball back and forth, which I thought was really cool. I'll be honest, I never really noticed the bulge when I was younger watching this because that's not what I was watching the movie for. I was watching it for weird, creepy effects. But I remember looking at him like, wow, this guy is like super over the top. Like, But it reminded me a lot of some of the stuff that Michael Jackson had done at the time because Michael did a lot of over the top like costuming and stuff when he did his music videos. And, you know, I wasn't overly familiar with Bowie at that time. You know, I knew, you know, Ground Control to Major Tom. Like, that was... <clears throat> but I never, like... The same way I was aware of Queen, but, like, if Freddie Mercury walked by me, I had, wouldn't know him. So, now that I look at, I look back at, I was just telling you off air, it's like, you know, I look at seeing him walk around, hanging out with goblins, you know, like casting people into an oubliette. I'm like, this is like a slow Tuesday for Bowie. It's a true story. So, I mean, that was my initial impression. Like, I didn't think he was overly scary, but, like, he had this, like, air of, of like, menace to him. It's like, he's clearly powerful. Everyone fears him. He's got an army of goblins. Like, he's a, he's not a dude to be messed with. I wanted to know more about him. I was hoping to find out some backstory, we'll, which hopefully we'll uh, find out, too, in uh, uh, the prequels, the prequel trilogy, starting with the Phantom Goblin Menace. So hopefully we see that in episode one. But uh, I don't want to see a, a, a labyrinth version of Jar Jar Binks. It would probably just be a weird, fiery guy. So that was my first impression when I saw it. When did you first see this movie? I don't exactly remember. So this film came out in 86. I was one. So obviously, if I had seen it, I wouldn't remember it. I don't really remember my first viewing or first exposure to it. I do remember, however, my parents used to bowl in a like Friday night league. And there were a bunch of us kids who would go with our parents when they didn't have a sitter available. And we would all kind of hang out and... We'd bring like coloring books and stuff and they had a, you know, TV, small TV with a VCR that, you know, we would all bring in movies to watch. And for some reason, the only film that we could all agree upon watching week after week was The Labyrinth. So there were just weeks upon weeks where it's like every Friday night, I'd find myself coloring pictures of like old Barbie and the Rockers coloring books and watching The Labyrinth. And I just remember being so mesmerized by David Bowie. And this was my first, uh, my introduction in, in t- to David Bowie. At that point, you know, I hadn't really listened to his music. Um, I hadn't seen anything else that he had been in. I wasn't really aware of, I wasn't aware of who he was. Of course, I, I am now. I'm a huge fan. I even have the Barbie. Like, last year they came out with a Ziggy Stardust Barbie and it's just the coolest fucking thing ever. But I just remember seeing him and I was very much, I'm, I'm, I'm an eighties child at heart. I love glam rock and glam metal. So, you know, Motley Crue and Poison and, uh, very, 
you know, I, I thought those guys were good looking at the time. Some of them still are. Most of them aren't. Uh, some of them have not aged well. Vince Neil. <laughs> but, you know, Bowie's aesthetic in the labyrinth definitely fits that type fits it you know especially with the hair and the very 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 tight pants and you know regarding the bulge i agree with you like my first upon my first viewings i never even noticed it i didn't notice it until and it kind of fits with the theme of the film i didn't really notice it until i got older and was noticing things that i was like oh hey there's there he is just kind of hanging out right there like thank you for coming today (laughs) thank you for being here um no, there's just something about him that you just can't take your eyes off of him. And, you know, in this particular performance, uh, it, it's almost like it was written for him. And it kind of was. Yeah, I mean, I look at Jennifer Connelly's, uh, and not Jennifer Garner, as I kept calling her yesterday, Jennifer Connelly's uh, performance in this, like, it's literally, you know, like you're going to the way you're going to talk about this, like what this movie represents and who she is and who Bowie is. And Bowie just exudes this like raw sexual energy, like how she was, in, especially the ballroom scene. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And there's something quite I mean, watching it as an adult. There's something a little unsettling, a little off putting about watching these scenes with this 16-year-old girl and this guy, this character who's clearly in his 40s. However, I couldn't really get an exact age on the character. So obviously we know Bowie was older, you know, decades older than the actress. But I really, I, I looked and I guess, so there's some supplemental material that came out after the film. There are... I believe there's a book and there are comic books and whatnot. And that allude to the fact that the Goblin King is immortal. So, which, I mean... I mean, it worked for Twilight. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. You know, but I couldn't get an age of him in the film. However, when you think about the fantasies of a teenage girl, it fits. So yes, watching it as an adult, sometimes the scenes are a little bit unsettling. We're like, wow, that's a little like not right. Again, why this movie couldn't be made. Right. Would not be made today. But watching it, growing up with it and stuff like it just it makes sense when you think of it like this is the these are the fantasies of a teenage girl, you know, a very charismatic over dramatic kind of uh daydreaming wanderlust type teenage girl right because we see how daydreamy like the way the movie opens you're thinking that like it takes place in a fantasy right yes you think it's it's like like a princess bride type thing or willow or something of that nature that's another friggin scary ass movie that i just rewatched recently but You know, she has that, you know, exactly the way you're describing her, like, that's how she acts at the beginning. Like, she's, she comes home and, you know, her stepmother's like, oh, you know, you're late. We need you to watch the babies. Like, and she's getting all pissed off at at her stepmother. How dare you ask me to do something? It's like, you're an hour late. You're the one who's wrong here. And she's like, oh, she hates me. 
Oh, Goblin King, take this baby away from me. Free baby, who wants him? Free to the first Goblin King. Who wants a baby? I can see you know babies. Uh, But anyways, so the casting of David Bowie was obviously perfection for this role. And this film would not be the same without it. So Jim Henson initially wanted Jareth to be a Muppet in the same vein as all of the other goblins. It wasn't until the uh, score composer, his name is Trevor Jones, proposed the idea of using a contemporary musical artist for the film and using contemporary music of the time, which obviously is what they did. And Henson decided then that he wanted a big, charismatic pop star to sing and act as the Goblin King. So some of the people that they had in mind included Sting, Freddie Mercury, Prince, Michael Jackson, Mick Jagger. And Jim Henson was actually leaning more towards Sting to be the Goblin King. You know... Speaking of Muppets, you know, that makes me think of the one of these things is not like the other. Like, if I'm looking at Prince, Bowie, MJ, Jagger, and then I see Sting there, it's like, wherever you go, I'll be watching you. It's like, yes, and no one will be watching you. Please leave. This is for charismatic people. Well, you can thank Jim Henson's two sons because they actually convinced Jim Henson to give Bowie the chance. You know, he was big at the time. Let's Dance had just come out. He was actually on Broadway doing The Elephant Man. That's an yeah, I could see him doing that. And I mean, if you want someone who's close to being like a human version of a Muppet, like Bowie is your guy. Yeah. Well, that's what I say. Like, you know, they felt that his otherworldliness and energy would be a good match for the fantastic creatures and settings planned for the film. I think his uh, another thing that played well into the look is his uh, uh, heterochromia. Like, I think that worked really well. Well, I mean, it definitely didn't hurt. It kind of helped with this fantastical vision that this character has. So Jim Henson was quoted as saying, I wanted to put two characters of flesh and bone in the middle of all these artificial creatures. And David Bowie embodies a certain maturity with his sexuality, his disturbing aspect, all sorts of things that characterize the adult world. The character must have something attractive and menacing about him at the same time. David Bowie has that quality. He is positive and negative at the same time. And I completely agree. You know, Jareth needed to be played by somebody who, you know, could encompass all of those things. And Jareth needed to be a character who would constantly throw Sarah off balance emotionally. Yes. Like, he represents, like, duality in so many different ways. Like... He like when I said, you know, if you want someone who's like a Muppet, I'm talking about like one of these fantastical creatures that was created by the the, the Henson uh, creature shop back in the 80s. You know, something that wouldn't like a human being that wouldn't seem out of place in, you know, this you know, someone who could be the king of the of the goblins. Well, it's like Bowie was David Bowie has had so many different incarnations 
incarnations of himself. He has transformed himself so many times. He's had so many different eras, you know, Ziggy Stardust, Aladdin Sane, Sir Duke, you know, and those are all him and kind of going off of that. So on playing the role of Jareth, Bowie was quoted saying, I loved the magic, the mystery. Henson actually commented that he barely directed Bowie while shooting the different scenes because he had the character of Jareth well in hand. And he, Jim Henson just completely agreed with what, was, what Bowie was doing. So not only did he write a lot of the music for this, the lyrics and whatnot. And performed most of the and songs. And performed the songs. So he you know, obviously performed the songs in the film. He also released a couple of music videos as Jareth you know, performing and, and whatnot to accompany the film. But he didn't even have to pretty much be directed because he just encompassed the character so much. Right. It is just another aspect of his personality. It's like, oh, we need you to be the Goblin King. It's like, okay, like, I can do that. That's easy. Like, I could see some of these other folks pulling off the acting, you know, like Prince or Michael or maybe Mick Jagger. But I don't think anyone else could have done it as naturally and as flawlessly as Bowie did. Right. They have the charisma that it would have taken to put this character on screen, but I they just there's something about David Bowie that is just a sidestep beyond what everyone else is doing. There's one other person I think in like all of cinema who could have done this and pulled it off, but still I think they would have been looking up at Bowie, and that's Tim Curry. I think Tim Curry could have come close to pulling this off, but I still think, like, if we got, could have seen this side by side, it's like, it's Bowie. Like, it's Bowie. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. And one of the things that really contributed to the impact that this role had was the design of the costumes and the character itself. So conceptual designer, designer Brian Froud stated that Jareth is, quote, Sarah's inner fantasy, a figure made up of her daydreams and nightmares. He is seen through her eyes as part dangerous goblin, part glamorous rock star. And the concept behind the character is that Sarah, having reached the age of sexual awakening, creates Jareth as the living embodiment of her adolescent interests and desires. So kind of what we were saying earlier, like he is a teenage girl's fantasy. Yeah, he's dangerous. He's an older man. He defies norms and conventions. But... You know, so she's attracted to you him. You know, there's something very and well, there's something very androgynous about Bowie in general, but he definitely brought that to this character. But what I what I was saying was like, she's attracted, like, oh, you know, this is he's you know unconventional and you know uh, forbidden, but when she actually has the opportunity to, you know, have him in her power. He's like, yeah, I, mm, that's where the nightmare part comes in. It's like, oh, you know, in theory, like, this is great. It's like, oh, this would piss my parents off. But at the same time, it's like, is this really what I want? Which is why I liked the metaphor of the peach, like her eating the peach mm-hmm. to, uh, you know, because peaches have been over-sexualized as fruit, which is a weird thing, but 
you know, especially if you look at emojis and shit you can like say that. Eggplant emoji. <laughs> yeah, but like peaches have always represented, mm-hmm. you know, that type of thing. So it was so. like her biting into the forbidden fruit. Obviously, like that whole scene is crazy because he fucking drugs her. Yeah, and she forgets everything. And, and then we delve into that crazy, fantastical ballroom scene, which is. Unreal, where she looks gorgeous. Like she looks, uh, they they make her up to look so much older than she actually is, older and more mature. Yes, but again, you know, in a teenage girl's fantasy, they always want. I mean, I remember being a teenage girl and wanting to look older than what I was, and wanted to be taken seriously, and wanted to, you know, you. There's an age when you can't wait to grow up. Until you grow up and and wonder, what the hell was I thinking? Why did I want this? This is stupid. Like, I don't want to pay bills. I just want to take a nap. Uh, But it it fits in the vein of this is a teenage girl's fantasy. So if you think about it that way, it makes it less creepy. A little, yeah. I mean, you know, it's, it's not real, or is it? But it's not real. And it's just something that, you know, she's made up. And especially a girl like her, one who has probably read a few Harlequin romances and is very overdramatic. And she's definitely you know, taken with the fantastical. Yeah, I was going to say, kind of lives in her own little fantasy world that she's made up in her head. And the book that she's reading, the Labyrinth book, where you know it's all about you know the princess, you know, confronting the Goblin King. You know, like she's living that all out. You know, did it happen? Did it not happen? Was it a dream? Was it a fantasy? Like, but we get to see her, you know, at the end of it, you know, kind of get the best of both worlds where it's like, you know, you know, when she has the the scene where she's been drugged and wakes up in her room, it's like, oh, this is what you were looking for. You're looking for your toys and you're looking for this and you're looking for that and you're looking for a return to childhood. And she's like, no, and starts throwing all that stuff away. You know, but we see some of the characters that she's met along the way. Like, if you need us, we'll be here for you. You know, so like, if you ever want to have a time, you know, if you want to embrace your inner child and remember what it's like to be a kid, even though you're going through all these, you know, uh, crazy puberty changes, you know, we're still here. Like, you don't have to completely get rid of this. You know, and Jareth, like you said, represents her sexual awakening. But at the same time, she's not like fully throwing herself and committing to that quite yet because she realizes she's still a 16-year-old girl. Right. She's kind of like in this limbo phase and not quite sure, you know, where she wants to be, who she wants to be, what she wants to be doing. Yeah, because even the message that he gives to her at the end of the film where he's like, you know, let me be a part of you and... You know, we'll 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 get there, but I know you've got more stuff that you want to cover. Yeah, so kind of going back to the design of of Jareth, the costumes itself were based upon classic romantic danger, dangerous figures from a range of literary sources, including Heathcliff from Wuthering Heights, Rochester from Jane Eyre, and the Scarlet Pimpernel. I was going to say that one. Jarrah's costumes are intentionally eclectic, drawing on the image of Marlon Brando's leather jacket from The Wild One, as well as that of a medieval knight. And uh, 
You definitely get medieval from some of his looks. Yeah. And regarding his hairstyle, which I think is probably, I mean, he wears some very iconic ensembles in, you know, throughout the film. But to me, the most iconic thing is his hair and his makeup. Yeah, and it like changes I, ever so slightly. Right. Uh, it, it changes a little bit depending on what he's wearing. And like what the mood of the situation. Right. Like the colors and stuff change as far mm-hmm. as like his makeup and stuff goes. But the the application is pretty similar. The overall like he, aesthetic is right. consistent. And, and like the style, like the raised eyebrows and the hairstyle is, is pretty consistent. But on designing Jarrah's hairstyle... Brian Fraud, the uh, costume designer, said, quote, we went through a stage where we were trying to make it look like a wolf. That's what Jim Henson felt, a wolf. And we didn't quite succeed succeed in it. But it became very strange, rather referring to kabuki theater. It's also like a pop star from a rock band. So, you know, very, like I said, kind of like that glam rock aesthetic. He definitely gives off, like... A predatory vibe, so I can see where, like, if they're talking about he, a wolf, is he hungry like the wolf? Uh, I don't know if he's Duran Duran, but uh, <laughs> he definitely has, he definitely has like that aesthetic where, like, well, and they gave him the scepter too that has the crystal ball at the end that he kind of uses as like a micro, you know, kind of gives it a microphone like aesthetic too. No, I'm just saying, like, his uh, some of his uh, aesthetic, you know, especially with the whole owl motif. Like, you definitely see, you can see him, like, swooping down and, like, getting her. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, Which is kind of why it's cool that they use the owl. We see him in, as the white owl in the beginning of the film. Snowy owl. We see him as the owl a little bit in the middle of the film. Mm-hmm. And then, obviously, at the end, it's kind of like him spying on her. Oh, as opposed to with all those weird eyes on, like, coral growing yeah. out of the wall. But he has the ability yeah. to shapeshift and turn into different things. Um, at one point... You mean David Bowie or the or the character of Jareth? Both. Okay. Both. Yes. Correct. Um, but we see him in different incarnations. So we see him as the owl. And fun fact, so the owl is... In certain scenes, an actual white snowy owl. In some scenes, it's a puppet. And towards the uh, the end scene where the owl is flying away, it is actually the first time that a realistic CGI animal was used in film. Yeah, and that I didn't know. And so when you when you told me about that, I was like, wow, that's pretty awesome. And you can see a little bit of it. And we had seen... Very little CGI used in movies up to that point. I mean, like Tron, which wasn't that great. Um, the uh, uh, the search for Spock, Star Trek Three. Um, you know, we saw a little bit of CGI stuff. Although, to be honest, it still looks better than some of the stuff we see today. Oh, true. But yeah, like the owl, and and even the the fiery scene, like you can kind of see that it's shot in front of like a blue screen or a green screen. Mm-hmm. Um, but even that, like the technology is pretty because you had to hide the the people dancing around behind it. Like those, you couldn't have traditional puppeteers. 
Right, but still, it doesn't take away from the fact that it's puppets, it's puppeteers, it's still, you know, using, for the majority of the film, practical effects. Yes. But Jareth also also disguises himself as other characters as well. Primarily, the scene where he's the blind beggar, and she doesn't know it's him. Which is a great effect. Right? Yeah. 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 he also has this really cool thing that he does with the crystal balls. And it kind of uh, creates this very mad. I mean, we, we see him and we think, wow, he's so magical. But it really kind of elevates that mysticism and magicalness that he has. And he's sitting there and playing with these crystal balls in his hand. There are usually three of them. Sometimes one. When he first sees her and he's kind of like, and he's kind of like making it dance from like the back of each hand back and forth, it's the one, but he does have the three the, at the one point. The three that he does things with. That was actually real. However, that wasn't David Bowie doing that. It was the choreographer, Michael Motion, who. Moskin. Moskin Motion, however you pronounce it. M O S C H E N. Uh, but anyways, it was him doing it. And so it was Bowie with his hands behind his back with the choreographer's hands in between. So kind of like doing the whole like, I'm going to pretend to be your hands and I'm going to do stuff and it's going to be funny. And he's doing all of this and he can't see what he's doing. So he's just doing it all from memory, what feels right and whatnot. Uh, super cool. Just kind of adds to that whole, you know, homegrown practical effects effect that this film has for the most part yeah because it's like you you were saying it's he was standing behind bowie and like putting his arms in front of him and doing all this stuff with like he's not able to see he's got to kind of duck down behind bowie and just put his arms up so it's almost as if he was puppeteering him kind of yeah he can't see but he's got to do all these different motions right. with his hands, and that just makes it even more impressive like I'm sure, like, given the time, Bowie could have learned to do that, but... Well, and speaking of puppeteering, fun fact, the kid, so the little baby named Toby, is it was actually a little baby named Toby, and he was actually the son of uh, Brian Froud, the costume yes. guy. Yes, yes. Uh, cried a lot just they couldn't keep his attention, he was very kind of like colicky, he was crying a lot. And somebody had a puppet that he liked. So in some of those scenes where you see the baby sitting on his lap, on, on uh, Jareth's lap, Jareth has like his arm around the baby and the other hand is out of the scene, out of shot. That's because David Bowie had the puppet on his other hand distracting to distracting the kid. the kid to keep the kid quiet enough so they could do the scenes. Well, speaking of kids, you were talking about how earlier that when it came to... Uh casting Bowie that one of uh, Jim Henson's sons wanted Bowie to be the one that got cast as Jareth mainly because uh, Brian Henson was the voice of Hoggle which I thought was kind of cool and just as a side note uh, while you're finding your spot on your notes there uh, this has a very strong Star Wars connection this film because Warwick Davis, who played Wicket the Ewok, Kenny Baker, who was R2-D2, Frank Oz, who was obviously Yoda, and Christopher Malcolm, who played in this movie uh, Sarah's dad, 
was the pilot of the snowspeeder that found uh, Luke and Han after they had camped out in the Tauntaun overnight on Hoth. So I just thought that was kind of cool. So while playing Jareth, Bowie stated that Jareth is not evil. However, he described the king as spoilt, childish, and used to getting his own way. He was quoted as saying, I think Jareth is, at best, a romantic, but at worst, he's a spoilt child, vain and temperamental, kind of like a rock and roll star, which is exactly pretty much, you know, how how he was played. Yes. And I think if you're playing a villain, you can't play the villain thinking that the villain is bad. I think anybody who plays a good villain plays the villain in a in a sense... Uh, Thinking that the villain is good. Villains never see themselves as the villain in their own story. Correct. That's what. I, that's a very eloquent way of saying exactly what I was trying to say. Thank you, Patsy. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's how you get good performances like, you know, the Joker or Thanos, Loki. And regarding the character of Sarah, so... Jareth is actually just completely smitten with Sarah and admires her determination and virtue. It's almost like amusing to him the fact that she won't quit, that she won't give up. And he gives her plenty of opportunities to do so. You know, like, I can take care of this baby. You can have the best life ever. You know, like, just, just, you know, just give up. Just quit. And He she... does try to straight up murder her at one point. This but is that's true. that's the only time, because he was frustrated. Right. But but even then, I don't think he would have... You're talking about the, the tunnel the scene. Yes, yes, the cleaner. I don't think he actually would have uh, murdered her. I think he would have, if she had just stayed there, saved her from that situation. Because he's lonely. And longs for companionship and uh, a, a sentiment which underlies his pleading for Sarah to remain with him in the other gra- underground. And that's what you were saying towards the end. Mm-hmm. The whole, you know, like, like, stay with me, let me in and I'll do whatever you want. I'll be your slave. But the way he was describing it, like the, the words that he used, it's almost like it would be a mutual, like... Uh, love me fear me do whatever i say and i will be your slave yeah like it's it's a mutual like codependency Mm -hmm. and she's like no i'm not ready for that type of commitment i'm 16 pretty much yeah but he's just he's so lonely and you know going with the theory that he's immortal we don't know how long he's been alive we don't know how long he's been the goblin king in the underground we don't know if it's something that he was born into because half the time he doesn't even he acts like he doesn't want that job yeah he gets very impatient with the goblins you know they don't do what he says you know he they're they're stupid they don't you know, reach him, you know, match him on an intellectual level. They don't amuse him half the time. So he's always, you know, they, they, I was going to say, there him. are scenes where he's kicking them around. It's almost like he came to the labyrinth accidentally and the Goblin King attacked him and he defended himself and killed the Goblin King and thus as you know became the alpha goblin and became the goblin king 
Like I could see that as a backstory. Too. That would be a great backstory. But, but he's like, an immortal. You know, he's just traveling all these different realms. As a result, he's just you know again not knowing how long he's been there and stuff. He's just gotten bored with being a goblin king. He's lonely. He wants somebody to kind of match his wits and you know amuse him on a higher level than what the goblins can offer him. Right, and if he can find a young child bride, all the better, because he can. While she's still got her own personality traits, he can kind of mold her and shape her, you know, the way he wants. You know, like, you know, when she's in the uh, in the ballroom scene, you know, the masquerade scene, you know, he's, you know, that's how I think, like you were saying, he is her, like, this is weird, so I'm, I'm going to try and, like, explain it articulately. So, if... He is her dream slash nightmare, like her her imagining of what he wants. Then that scene is how she wants him to picture her. Yes. I get what you're saying. Yes. Yeah. So like she's older, more mature. She's got this long flowing dress. It's like going to the prom or even a wedding dress. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and she's like, nope, don't don't like this. You know, because, well, she spends half that scene searching for him, seeking him out, and then she spends the other half running away from him. Realizing she's in a drugged stupor. Right. Realizing that, no, this is, you know, she's running towards him like, yes, this is what I want. This is the life that I want. I I want to be something. I can be someone with you. And then reality starts to set in. I'm a strong, independent woman that don't need no man. Mm Mm-hmm. Um... You know, she, I I need to get my brother. I need to go home. I have responsibilities. I have a life. Like, this is not for me. My I wet don't... dog is still in the garage. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, and I think that's kind of like that one scene kind of sums up the entire film pretty much. Yeah, like the whole movie can be summed up in that in that scene. Right. Yeah, that's that's a good point. You know, and... Ultimately, you know, she rejects him. And fun fact in the original script, so he was supposed to be a Muppet and then they changed their, you know, their minds and decided to make him an actual human character, which I think having the two human characters amongst, you know, having all the other characters be Muppets was brilliant. You know, it's kind of like that thing that's been going around on the Internet, like, you know. Replace one, replace yes, every re- everyone in a cast with Muppets, but keep one actor. Yes, I mean that's, I mean it, that's kind of this. That's what it's, that's exactly what it's like. We replaced everyone with Muppets. It's essentially like you took Lord of the Rings and replaced everyone with Muppets, except for like uh, Aragorn and and Arwen. Sure, that sounds good. Yeah, you you uh, you nerd people out there will know what I'm talking about, but. Again, in the original script, once they decided that they were going to have the Goblin King be an actual human versus a goblin, when she rejected him, they were going to have him turn into a goblin. Like maybe he was putting on this ruse as a human to try to lure her in. Or the opposite of the princess kissing the frog. Kind of. You know, if she had chosen to stay with him, he would have stayed this handsome goblin king. Or they both could have gotten turned into goblins. And then it would have been a Shrek situation. Check yourself (laughs) before you Shrek yourself. But anyways, but I kind of like... the title of our Shrek episode. (laughs) 
Are, are we doing Shrek? I, if we ever do. <laughs> Time you know, stamp. Ogres are like onions. Ugh, I'm ogre all this. But anyways. Um, crap. You made me lose my train of thought. All I can think of is ogres now. Like Shrek. Didn't they come up with a Shrek cereal? They might have. It's probably gross. It's. I think it turns your milk green. Yeah. It, that sounds about right. Probably turns your poop green, too. Oh, hey, that's a thought. Oh, oh someone shrek the toilet. Oh, my God. Okay. So, anyways, in closing, Jareth is a really good character. And, you know, doing some research and stuff, like, it makes... The, the whole bulge situation makes sense. I know a lot of people make fun of it and stuff, but it makes sense, you know, when you think of it in this specific way. They probably gave Bowie that cod piece to kind of calm him down a little bit. They were like, whoa, whoa, that's too revealing. Let's shrink this down a little bit. Because it's Bowie. I just, I, I have no, I have no comment. <laughs> I'm just going to keep my mouth shut. <laughs> just... But anyways, this is a really good film. I love this. And, and this character, uh, I love this character. I actually wish they would come out with a Barbie version of this character because I think that would be amazing. And it's a character that has really stayed in pop culture. Yeah, like you were you were mentioning about conventions. Yeah, there uh, pretty much every convention we go to, uh, there's at least one person just dressed up as Jareth. Like for like the comic cons, not well, always well, yeah, the horror. Yeah, cons. Well, no, obviously not the horror conventions, but I mean like the regular like comic cons and and you know pop culture conventions and whatnot. Yeah, and it, he's really the only the only one you can cosplay as. Although I have seen people with like the little the little dude, I forget his name now, and we just watched it last night. The little dog that rides on the other dog, I think like Demetrius or something like that. Melvin, Melvin and the squirrel. It is not Melvin. Probably mittens. Definitely not the squirrel. Did Sir Didymus? Didymus, yes. Sir Didymus. Yes, yeah. He was he was good. He was good. I liked uh, I liked his character, played by Dave Getz. Who is a, a a staple of anything Henson has done? He's a uh, a puppeteer and voice actor. Like he's you know along with you know folks like um, oh I'm drawing a blank on his uh, Steve Whitmire and uh, you know because he Steve Whitmire is one of those guys we mentioned him a lot in our Carol Spinney episode because he hung out and did a lot of puppeteering on Sesame Street like he was one of those like core guys like Frank Oz who like everything that Spielberg did you know Getz and Whitmire were pretty much a part of it along again with Frank Oz cuz they just they did the voices they were good actors and they were excellent puppeteers so but I think that's uh, probably a good place to stop for this. Uh, if you have any more thoughts, you know you know how to reach us. Definitely uh, send us your thoughts, comments, questions, concerns. How are we driving? And uh, so we'll take a quick break, and uh, we'll be right back. We'll wrap up the show, and uh, yeah, we'll see you in a few minutes. Hey there, this is JB. And if you enjoy Tales from the Crypt, then check out my show, Tales from the Podcast, where myself, and usually a very special guest, sit down to discuss the TV show, the films, the animated series, as well as the original comics. So check me out, 
every other week on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, and of course, at TalesFromThePodcast.com. Thanks for listening, kiddies. You're all a scream. <laughs> Hi, I'm Dominic Pace, star of Sci-Fi Channel's Megalodon. This is Emma. Hi, my name is Kurando Mitsutake, director of Gun Woman and Karate Kill. Hi, this is Samantha Newark, the voice of Jem and Jerrica from the original Jem and the Holograms cartoon series. Hey guys, this is James Thomas, director of Megalodon. Hi guys, this is Dee Wallace from E.T. and Cujo. Hi, I'm Mike Price. I'm a writer on The Simpsons. I co-created Epis for Family. And you're listening to Patsy the Angry Nerd and Ashes Von Nightmare. And you're listening to Throwdown Thursday podcast. And you are listening to Throwdown Thursday. And you're listening to Throwdown Thursday. And you're listening to Throwdown Thursday. And you're listening to Throwdown Thursday podcast. You have to recognize that song. And uh, Ashes, you got you got some notes about that. Yeah. So fun fact, the magic dance scene in the film consisted of over 48 Muppets, 52 puppeteers, and eight people in goblin costumes. Um, yeah. And one David Bowie. And one David Bowie, who is the most important of all the uh, the characters. But yeah, that, that scene is so Imagine, good. Imagine like, how... And, and, and the it's way it was so shot, well choreographed, yes. And the way it was shot, like the puppeteers, like no one is, you know, a lot of people compare some of these directors today. Oh, there'll never be another Tarantino. Oh, there'll never be another Scorsese. There'll never be another fucking Jim Henson. Like the closest we have is Guillermo del Toro when it comes to creature design and, and practical effects and stuff mm-hmm. like that. But there, there will never be another Henson. Like, oh, man, you know, the stuff his that guy sons have taken over and they're still putting out quality stuff. You know, the Muppets are still the Muppets. They still, you know, obviously they've gotten uh, updated in some of their designs and whatnot. But, you know, the most recent Muppet films and even the Muppet TV show that was the revival. Two, one? Yeah, the revival that was a couple. I think it only lasted two seasons, unfortunately. Yeah. It kind of had like an office vibe to yeah. it. I really enjoyed like they it. They turned it into a sitcom. Yeah, I I really of enjoyed it. a variety it. show. But, well, I mean, variety shows don't 
really do well this day and age. The but, and, and but there's a America's lot more. America's Got Talent, Mass Singer. So you think you can dance? Lip sync battles. But, and but, I don't even watch any of these. And I knew all those. But the those aren't. Yeah, but those aren't variety shows. Though. There's a variety those are of them. Talent, quote unquote, talent yeah. shows. It's a it's a whole completely different monster. Yeah, I guess. I guess it's it's not what you're thinking it is. But anyways, we have battle results from last week. Yeah, I'm I'm curious about this. So last week we threw down it's a battle ish. We wanted to know which film slash characters are you most looking forward to this year? Vote on a genre and let us know what you're excited to see in the comments. So you could choose from superhero films, more comedies, new horror, or oh, the drama and new horror one. And there are some very promising looking horror films coming out this year. Uh, Powerful Brandon commented, as much as I adore comic book movies and horror, I really want to see some new comedies. I love laughing and good storytelling, and I'd like to see some stuff that's actually kind of sweet natured instead of just crass and juvenile, whether that's on film or a TV show. A good example for me would be the Netflix show Atypical. I actually haven't checked that out yet, but I've heard really good things about that. We also heard from Old Man Wade on the Twitters. He says it's a double. My new horror is a comic book movie. And he's talking about the new mutants. And uh, I think something that can fall into the same vein would be we just saw the Morbius trailer that dropped a couple days ago. Yeah. Like... That looks incredible. So I think and and we know that is, is Doctor Strange happening this year? I think think so but they just lost their director so i don't know but we may be getting the second doctor strange and i've heard we are getting wandavision that's supposed to be doctor strange is supposed to be more towards the the horror genre yeah i'm hearing rumors that uh scarlet witch will be the villain i would love that um but Speaking of like campy fun horror, uh, I don't know if it counts quite as horror, but it definitely seems like it's going to be fun. Is uh, that new one, um, uh, Guns Akimbo with uh, Samara Weaving and Harry Potter? So that one looks like it could be interesting. Harry Potter has taken on some really interesting roles. I kind of like what he's chosen to do with his cinematic career. And I'll be honest, I shouldn't have called him Harry Potter because, like, that's Daniel Radcliffe is a phenomenal actor. If you've not seen Horns, if you've not seen um, Swiss Army Man. Oh, that was so good. <laughs> Horns was interesting. <laughs> Bless you. One more. <laughs> Bless you. Oh, that was three sneezes by Patsy. A haiku. <laughs> um, Shall we snap? Uh, but yeah, like he's he's a phenomenal actor, and I do him a great disservice. I actually... Talked about this earlier today. I was having this con- very conversation with someone. They're like, oh, that Harry Potter guy, you know, he's typecast and he- everyone sees him as Harry Potter. I'm like, actually, you need to watch some of his stuff. Like, watch him in uh, the the Woman in Black. Watch him in. He's Swiss actually Army done Man. a really good job Equus. of divorcing himself from the Harry Potter role. Yeah, even Tom Felton has done a good job of kicking away Draco Malfoy. 
Like, and he's done some good stuff. Like these, these kids, while, you know, yes, this is what you might know them from. They're quality actors. Like there's, there was a movie we were just talking about the other day where, um, the twins, uh, Fred and George. Oh, the Weasley brothers. Yeah. They're playing twins in a new movie that's coming out. And and I think it's a horror film. It is. And I'm, oh, um, is it the monster hunter? I think with, um. Uh, uh, Paul W. S. Anderson and his wife. Oh my God, Resident Mila, Jovovich. Mila Jovovich. Yes, Sorry, I was totally blanking on her name. All you could think of was Resident Evil. Um, but yeah, I think that's what they're in. But yeah, it's it's excellent. Like these guys are good. Definitely check those uh those characters out. So Ashes. Yes. Wh- probably get closer to the microphone. Yes. Closer. What are we talking about next week? I'm very excited about this. Um, so it's a, it's, it's not a guy, but it's kind of a guy, but it's not a guy. He is alive. He is very much alive. We will be discussing next week, Johnny Five from Short Circuit and Short Circuit 2. Johnny uh, Five alive? I was so excited. I was like, holy shit, we haven't, I haven't watched this movie in forever. Like, we're watching... Uh, a labyrinth and talking about some of the movies we haven't seen in a long time and that was one that popped into my head i'm like i'm gonna see if they have it if you go to amazon and you want the blu-ray combo of the first two movies it's only 90 dollars <laughs> so i did not i buying the blu-rays was going to be a little out of my price range so i went to voodoo to see if they had it it was five dollars for short circuit 14 dollars for short circuit two and i was like that's a huge difference in price but then I said, you know what though? Together, it's like nine bucks a film. It's under ten bucks a film for the two of them. Hooray for math! So that's a good deal. Even though one's way more expensive than the other, they average out to be. Okay, so there was Short Circuit, and then there was another one that came out. It had, I think, it had Jessica Tandy in it. With like the batteries little... not included. <gasps> batteries 19... not included. That came out before. I want to say that's 1986. I fucking uh, we have the VHS. I fucking love batteries not included. Yeah, they're like the little flying saucer. They were aliens. I believe. and one of them they had the babies, and one of them didn't live. 1987, Hume Cronin and Jessica Tandy, and one of them didn't like. Li- oh, it was so good. Frank McRae. Babies died. It was so good. Elizabeth Pena, Michael Carmine. That's one we got to cover because that's, I love that movie so much. That came out uh, 87 and I think Short Circuit came out right around the same time. Um, I'm going to have to look. I remember quick. the two of them. So uh, uh, not the same, but Short kind Circuit of... was 86. Short Circuit 2 was 87. So uh, they came out. You know, uh, in the in the same vicinity. So it was short short circuit, and then batteries not included, and then short circuit two. Short circuit two, for some reason, I remember being like in the mid nineties. Maybe it's because I watched it about four hundred times in the mid nineties, and it was one of like the seven hundred films that plays holding out for a hero as you, like. You know what we're gonna have to cover. Bonnie Tyler's Total Eclipse of the Heart. That's not a character. <laughs> I don't know. I'm talking about holding out for a hero. What? Mac and me. Oh, we could get Paul Rudd on. 
Um, but yeah, uh, the, holding out for a hero, which again, you know, going back to our Shrek conversation, they played in Shrek or Shrek Two, one of them. Okay, so question out there, and this goes for the, the our audience as well: What is with guys loving that song? I'm I'm just getting into it. I'm telling you why. So it's it was in this because it's it's a heroic sounding song in every scene that it's in. It's in an iconic scene. So it's in uh, the first lethal weapon. It's playing on the TV and it's advertising a fragrance which uh, Mel Gibson happens to own called Hero. He's got like half a bottle of it sitting there. And this is like towards the beginning of the movie where he gets up and it's full Mel Gibson ass and he's just like staring out at the ocean completely naked. So it plays during that commercial. It's also in the tractor scene in Footloose. It's also in this movie. And it's in Short Circuit 2. And it's also in Shrek. So it's generational. It's, first of all, Bonnie Tyler. Like, Can well, we no, talk no, no, about no. how good Bonnie Tyler's music Don't is? Don't get me wrong. I, I have the song on several of my playlists. I have a lot of her songs on my playlist. It's in my I gym playlist. Great. No, don't get me wrong, but... It's like every guy is obsessed with this song. They love this song. No, 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 nothing wrong. It's a great song, but it's like, I know you love the song. Uh, somebody posted not too long ago on, on my Facebook feed about this song. And then a bunch of other people, mostly men, chimed in like, oh, my God, this song, this song, this song. They play it at work. Like uh, we, our lab used to be a, a slightly different with different people and we used to play music a lot and that was one of the songs that we would play and the guys would be like oh i love this song so much and it's like what 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 do you guys want to be heroes so much like this is your jam like if i was a hero that would be my theme song like you hear that song where are all the good men gone and where are all the gods like you hear that song? Where's the streetwise Hercules to fight the rising odds? So you you hear this song, <laughs> and you're imagining yourself like... Isn't there a white knight upon a fiery sea? Riding a fiery horse across a battlefield like to, to charge down insurmountable odds. I toss and I turn and I dream of what I need. I, I need, need a hero! <laughs> Sorry if I just blew out your fucking <laughs> eardrums on that one. Um, yeah, it's it's such a good song. You know what? If I hadn't already recorded an ending for this, like I would, uh, that's the song that I would be playing right now. Well, we'll save that for next week. We'll have to save it for next week because it's part of to it. be continued. So, speaking of next week and coming attractions. So obviously, like we told you, next week we are talking about Johnny Five, who is alive from Short Circuit 1 and 2. We are also gearing up for convention season. We have our first convention coming up next month in February. Uh, February 21st, 22nd, and 23rd at the Hilton Hotel down in Mystic, Connecticut. We are going to be at Wicked Weekend Sounds like it's going to be a wicked good time. Oh, yeah. It's going to be 
What did they say? Gortastic. Go, gore, ooh, gortastic. Gorgasms. Gore, ooh, it's wow. Be a gorgasmic time. Oh yeah. Be a gorgeous. Am I doing this right? I probably think so. not. I don't know. Anyway, Al Gore will be there. <laughs> I don't know. I don't. That would be interesting. Yeah, yeah. I mean, talking about climate change. Anyways, that's what we've got coming up for you. We have a lot of stuff in the works. Throwdown Thursday is doing some crazy, amazing things. So be sure to stay tuned. Make sure to check out the other podcasts on the Dorkening Network. Yeah, like the newcomers, uh, Amalga, the uh, um, Amalga Reviews is one of them. And the Amalga Files, Close Encounters say, of the Nerd our, Kind. Uh, our friends at Amalgamania have joined the network. That's what I was going to say. Their but... first show aired on Tuesday, same day as Shark Bites and Retro Redoctopus. So we got three fairly new shows. We have uh, the uh, CSI Vegas Files from uh, Steven from uh, 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 Super, Super Retro, Retro Throwback, Throwback Reviews. Reviews. We've got the Hammer Horror Podcast uh, that just joined up we've got a few we more also have things. still toking with the toking dead that stars the toking dead yep and some great uh, guys obviously the wicked horror show like you'll see us sprinkled in on some of the dorkening stuff um i just did an interview yesterday or by the time you hear this two days ago uh for uh echoes of fear with uh the director and star of that film so check that out and uh check out uh this coming episode of Shark Bites, because I'm going to have was that on... a question of Shark Bites? No, I was trying I to think, think of like what it's days of the week uh, and like when things are coming up. Because I am interviewing uh, our buddies Majama from the Bad CGI Sharks fame, and they have uh, their actual release, the home release of Bad CGI Sharks. I know they did a lid- limited run from SRS Cinema. Uh, a few months back, but their uh, Amazon pre-orders are already up. But I'm interviewing those guys, and there will be an, uh, a giveaway. If you win uh, our giveaway, you you're will giving be getting... stuff away. Yeah, can I win? Uh, n- well, we did win our Star Wars raffle, like which was totally unintentional, but we did do that. But I know. Oh. <laughs> <Aww. laughs> Um, because we're already, I already pre-ordered this, so like whoever wins, I haven't decided what the contest will be, but whoever wins gets a DVD copy of Bad CGI Sharks. I will Ooh. Amazon it right to your door, Ooh. and maybe we'll throw in some of our new swag. <gasps> oh we my god, you swag guys! Today. We got new stuff in the mail, and it's so cool. So if you are going to be at Wicked Weekend. Definitely stop by the Dorkening table. Say hi to us. We have new magnets. They are Patsy magnets and Von Nightmare Vineyard coasters. Why? Yeah, and they these are, are like so cool. They're they high are high end coasters, right? They are like you can actually use these coasters to prevent you know your your drink from leaving little rings on your tables. And you can reuse them. They're like legit coasters. Yeah, they're metal. 
with cork underneath. Yeah, yeah. So you can uh, use it to support your wine. Your your mistress of Merlot approved wine. Yes. Yeah. These are some really good. Cool. We'll post some pictures and put them in the group so folks can see. It's them. a lot of fun. I'm really excited. She designed them. Uh, she was like, "Oh, this is what I'm thinking about doing." I'm like, "Whatever you want. I'm I'm all for. I'm sure you'll design it." Uh, really Hashtag well. marriage. But anyways, marriage. we could continue to talk and we are going to stop talking because we need to stop talking because we have other stuff to do. Like eating dinner because it's almost 11 o'clock. We haven't eaten dinner yet. So we want to do that. But until next time, folks, and thank you so much for tuning in. We, we will see you, you next, next Thursday. Thursday.